electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to a special Seattle edition of Mad Money. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but educate to teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Welcome to Kramerica. Or more accurately, welcome to Amazonica. Because today we're coming you from Amazon headquarters for a rare look inside the Colossus that you might know as a retailer, a cloud infrastructure play, an advertising company, and possibly your healthcare provider or your grocer or so many other things. I say we can't learn enough about this company that's become such a huge presence in all of our lives. Amazon's also a great microcosm today. A day where the averages were decidedly mixed. Dow slipping 70 points, that's to be declining 0.39%, NASDAQ losing 0.58%, but the undercurrents were decidedly positive. It's just that most market observers wouldn't know what positive is if it hit them over the head with a two by four. See, today was a day where the commodity complex, it just simply collapsed, plain and simple. Commodities nosedive because we continue to get sluggish numbers out of China, the land of sluggish numbers. Uh, But we also got numbers out of our country that show job creation cooling off at a pace that suggests we may not have as much overall demand for anything going forward. Of course, the market's initial read-through of the commodity collapse was dead wrong. A false read-through that says, basically, we're clearly going into recession or commodity prices wouldn't be falling apart like this. Now, you may call me a cockeyed optimist for seeing this Rorschach test of a commodity collapse as a positive. But remember, remember who I am. I'm someone who got in this business back when the Dow Jones Industrial Average hovered around $1,000, $1,000 forever. It's now at 36000 so maybe I should get the benefit of the doubt when I say something positive. I know coming up with negative spin is the easiest way for strategists to make themselves look smart. But I'd rather be right. And history clearly says that an optimistic bias has been the right call. Bye, bye, bye. So here's how I see it. The commodity complex is a principal reason why regular people feel the economy's gotten away from them. Most commodity prices have been stuck at, at levels that had to do with scarcity during COVID or a smoking hot Chinese economy or artificially low interest rates from the Fed and the European Central Bank. That's all over, replaced by a weak China, much higher interest rates and the end of COVID shortages. So the idea that prices for any commodity should be as high as they were, it's absurd. 
Where does it say that once they're up, they stay up unless there's a recession? Yet that's the mindset most investors have when they see any decline in commodities. It's wrong. But it's because of preternatural instinct of traders, coupled with the one-way thinking of strategists, who are always fixated on the next recession. Not me. You see, when I see commodity prices going down, you know what I think? I think it's fantastic. Who doesn't want everything to be cheaper? Which brings me to Amazon. We came out here to interview the person who's in charge of the Colossus that, other than the federal government, may have the most impact on your and my life. Except unlike Uncle Sam, dealing with Amazon is convenient, and they don't have the power to tax you into oblivion. Let's put the commodity sell up to the prism of Amazon. First, Amazon happens to be the biggest shipper in the United States, having overtaken UPS and FedEx. Because of the relentless price increases in commodities, sending something to you costs now about six bucks a package. They've tried so hard to keep that thing down, dividing the nation into eight different distinct regions so there are fewer touches per delivery. That, by the way, is how you can get get goods the same day, especially those consumables. Shipping's been expensive because gasoline acts as a tax on Amazon, just like it's a tax on you. And this isn't like the payroll tax where you get Social Security back in return. Gasoline's a pure negative, given Amazon's relentless attempts to bring down the cost of everything. When oil comes down like it did today, their customers, they're going to be given a gasoline rebate. Amazon's a grocer, would love to be the nation's largest grocer. One of the best things that Amazon does is drive people toward a prime membership. That allows them to pass on lower commodity costs at the supermarket and still make money. It's the same membership model as their Seattle neighbor, Costco. Again, it's a rebate to you. Best of all, while there's a bit of a chicken and egg thing going here when commodities go down, it's a powerful sign that inflation's under control. When inflation's under control, interest rates go down, as lenders are more willing to take less for their money, and demand is most likely dropping anyway. When rates go down, you're more likely to buy things on Amazon, as individuals have more disposable income. So it's great news for the company. It's also great news for the industry most impacted by lower rates, the home builders. And these stock chains went completely bonkers after high-end home builder Toll Brothers last night reported a stunningly good quarter, even as mortgage rates are really high. See, I never thought I'd say this about home building, but because there's a nationwide housing shortage, the home builders have been able to keep raising prices despite sky-high mortgage rates. Now that rates are coming down, homes will be more affordable. What does it do? Gives buyers more disposable income. How can that be anything but positive? Okay, on this, maybe Amazon fails the test because, well, you know what? They're not in the real estate business. Now, we did put Amazon through ChatGPT. How can you not? And ask the generative artificial intelligence monster if, if there's anything that Amazon doesn't sell. And only a handful of things survived that test. Uh, driver's licenses, passports, and homes. Now, if we go full circle, we could, of course, say commodities are an early arbinger of recession that's being caused by the Fed keeping short-term interest rates too high. So the Fed better start cutting rates furiously or we're going to be throwing out people out of work, cutting wages, closing businesses as part of the Great Recession of 2024. This ill-advised analysis could be bolstered tomorrow when we get the weekly job. We get those uh, jobless claims from the Fed, uh, the, the weekly ones, or then on Friday when we get the, geez, the monthly report. That could be a tough one. Me, I just see the commodity decline as part of a return to normalcy. While many people in this country got raises during COVID, prices for most things went up more than wages did. And the core of those price increases came down to higher costs up for all sorts of basic materials, the commodities. So you get those down. We have hope of an actual deflation when prices actually decline rather than what we have now, which is that they go up at a slower level than we've been seeing lately. 
So let me give you the bottom line here. In that scenario, stocks, what do they do? They go higher following a period of commodity-induced lower bond yields. The stock of Amazon should be going higher, too. We just need to work through those big money managers who look at the Rorschach test and see financial Armageddon. (laughs) Maybe they are looking at the picture upside down. Let's say calls. Let's go to Robert in New York. Robert. Jim, I got to tell you, Santa Claus came and asked me what I wanted for Christmas this year. And you know what I told him? More of Kramer's great stock advice. So on that note. Holy cow. Yeah, no, seriously. So on that note, let's talk about a stock that has an A rating. Also, Berkshire owns 13% of the company in the company. They have a stake there. Bank of America. Look, I think Santa's right about this one. Uh, although, I don't know. i got to talk to the wife about too much Kramer. Bank of America is too cheap. I think you can go to 35, 36. Honestly, it's just, it's just a stock that's been stuck here forever, and it shouldn't because it sells at eight times earnings. I think you got a good one. Now, in the scenarios that stocks go higher, following a period of commodity-induced lower bond yields, well, what should happen? The stock of Amazon should be going higher, too. Say, let's find out. On Mad Money tonight, we're bringing you a very special Mad Money from Amazon headquarters in Seattle. First, I'll be giving my thoughts on Amazon and its fellow Magnificent Seven stocks, and sharing why I think they're more like nation states than companies. Then we got to talk about this JM Smuckers, the packaged food company that's in the crosshairs of the weight loss drugs. Does the stock still have a place in your shelf after its latest earnings report? Don't forget, hostess, I'm giving you my take. And I'm bringing my exclusive interview with Amazon CEO Andy Jassy from the company's very headquarters. Do not want to miss it. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on X. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Mentions. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. While we're here at Amazon's headquarters in Seattle, 
I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the Magnificent Seven. I like to call them nation states. I want to walk through how they became so magnificent in the first place. As someone who identified the acronymic moniker FANG and then made a concession to NVIDIA and Tesla to form the Seven, I'm acutely aware that these companies aren't like other businesses. Their revenues are insanely huge. Their market capitalizations, including Apple's, which cost $3 trillion before slipping back today, are just unreal. When you deal with them, you're conscious that while they represent roughly 28% of the S&P 500, they're probably three or even four times influential for most of our viewers. But why the term nation states? Because there are entire countries with less financial firepower than these guys have. Think about it. They're operating on their own with gigantic budgets, amazing reach, and a portfolio of products that defies characterization. They only lack a military, at least that I know of. Consider Amazon. At one point, they were a small bookseller that was a joke next to Borders, then the biggest chain, now not even around. Then Amazon decided to branch out to other merchandise, a broader retailer. Now, they're the second largest retailer on Earth. They're the largest cloud infrastructure company. They're one of the most powerful forces in advertising. They're a dominant transport logistics company. They're a production company, a sports broadcaster, a grocer, a pharmacy, and a hardware and device company. Amazon employs about one and a half million people. They're a nation state with the power to tax. Well, no, they don't really have that, do they? But they have so much money, they don't need to. And Amazon isn't alone in having such scale. People keep calling Apple an iPhone and PC maker with watches and AirPods. I say, really? I mean, come on. Apple's a credit card company, a sports television and movie producer, a virtual newsstand, a gaming company, an international manufacturer that is so big, it can impact the nation's employment numbers. And we're talking the largest nations on earth here. You think it doesn't matter to India that Apple announced yesterday that it wants its iPhone batteries made there? It's huge for them. I can list all the businesses Alphabet and Med and Microsoft are in, but it would take too long. Meanwhile, Tesla's a tech company that happens to make cars. NVIDIA is a semiconductor company that also makes software for artificial intelligence. Like nation states, all these companies have moats. Any new competitor would be just nuts to take them on. Any old line company can't even begin to grapple with their prowess. We own Disney for the travel trust, and it's been a terrible stock. One reason? The albatross that is ESPN, with a lot of expensive sports programming. ESPN wouldn't be such an albatross, though, if you didn't have one of these other states thinking, ha, about picking up NBA basketball, Monday Night Football. The competition from the nation-state companies is what makes the rights to these games so prohibitive. Listen. There used to be a thriving bookstore business in this country. Now the whole industry is a vestige. Finance. Think of Goldman Sachs getting into the credit card business with Apple. Goldman's huge and powerful, powerful investment bank. But it was, it was willing to give away much too much of the economics to Apple on the consumer side. Now the partnership's dissolving, but only after Goldman spent and now perhaps lost billions of dollars catering to the Cupertino giant. As someone who worked at Goldman Sachs in the 80s, the idea that anyone could dictate terms to them in finance seems fanciful. But it's Apple we're talking about. Nobody's on an even footing with Apple. Whenever I I want to highlight a company on this show, I'm always aware that with the exception of Eli Lilly, nothing comes near the nation states in size. So why ever talk about anything else? Ha! For me, it's about opportunity. For you. Was it a mistake to focus on NVIDIA a decade ago when it was much, much more? Was it wrong to think about these diet and obesity drugs before they were approved and sent Louis stock soaring? Does it make sense to not follow Palo Alto Networks in its journey from $50 billion to just under $100 billion? Or to track any of the hundreds of companies that got takeover bids for, of course, the FTC decided to wreck the process. Sure, if my job were to cover only gigantic companies, then it wouldn't be much fun. But my job is to look for the next giant companies or to find companies that can double and triple and double and triple again. As great as the nation states are, they can't give you that thrill, that gigantic return, if only thanks to the law of large numbers. So you mix them up. 
paying the Colossus companies their due, but always staying with one eye on the prize, helping you try to make more money. Let's take calls. Let's go to Campbell, North Carolina. Campbell. Hey, Jim. I just want to call in and ask what you thought about Lyft stock and if you think they're able to compete with Uber. I, I don't know. I talked to David Richer last week, the CEO, and I got to tell you, I think he's a powerful competitor. I would not want to I, I, I would not want to write that guy off. As a matter of fact, I want to buy his stock. I think Lyft's real good. Let's go to Charles in Florida. Charles. Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. I also want to say that Sir. I just started watching your show. I really like it. I think you level, you're very level head with an average um, investor. So I really appreciate your input. Thank you. That's Thank the, you. Then you got the game plan. I appreciate it. There you go. Yeah, thank you. Sentinel One, uh, my question to you is with Sentinel One, it's down 35% since its, its peak. Uh, my question to you tonight is with, with CrowdStrike um, basically 90%, I think 90% over its high, and, and Palo Alto over 109% in the last uh, year or so, is, what, what, is your, what is your take on Sentinel? What is your, is your future? Well, I got, I, I got to tell you, Tomer Weingarten put up good numbers. I mean, absolutely good numbers. But the thing is, people are expecting bad numbers. That's why the stock jumps so much. I can't come on top of a 16% gain in one day and think we can make any money. As great as the nation states are, they can't give you the gigantic return. That's where I come in, finding companies you can add to mix it up, the ones that can double and triple and make you more money. Hey, don't go anywhere. Our two-part interview with Amazon CEO Andy Jassy is coming up next. Don't miss this exclusive must-watch conversation from Amazon headquarters here in Seattle. So stick with Kramer. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. Welcome back to Mad Money, coming to you from Amazon's headquarters in Seattle. Going into this week, people were very worried about J.M. Smucker, which reported yesterday morning the packaged food maker behind Jif peanut butter, Smucker's jelly, Folgers coffee, and pet food like Milk Bone and Meow Mix had become the poster child for what I call the Ozempic sell-off, when all the food plays got killed like a moth, got killed because of these new weight loss drugs. Given that Smucker just announced it's buying Hostess brands in September, yeah, Twinkies, we knew they were about to get a big snack portfolio. Ding-dongs, ho-hos, and these GLP-1 drugs, they can eliminate your craving for snack food. So Smucker saw its stock plunge over 30% from its July highs to its lows early last month. And while it rebounded a handful of points since then, investors were still extremely concerned. 
Most of the beaten down snack food stocks have snapped back. Look at Oreo Maker Modley's, which is giving you a true V-shaped recovery. This one was doing much worse. That is until it reported yesterday, when Smucker seemingly changed the narrative. The stock's now on a roll. But does this move make sense? Let's take a closer look. First off, Smucker's reported better than fear revenue with a 7% organic growth. That's nice, which is what you get when you strip out various one-line, one-time items and impact of currency fluctuations. More important, though, Smucker's gross margin expanded by a shocking 550 basis points year over year and by 300 basis points for the previous quarter. Oh, that is a massive increase in profitability. Throwing more spending discipline and allowed the company to post a 12-cent earnings beat off a of $2.47 basis with 8% earnings growth year over year. One of the best food companies. The cash flow numbers were more mixed, but overall, these figures were a pleasant surprise. What really helped, though, was that we got updated guidance for the 2024 fiscal year, and this guidance included the hostess acquisition. Remember, the hostess acquisition was the number one worry for Smucker's shareholders. Yet Smucker's forecast was mostly fine. While they shaded down the high end of their full-year comparable net sales outlook, and the company shifted its entire earnings forecast lower by 20 cents because the hostess deal will be a bit dilutive to earnings at first, everything else was more encouraging. Management says they expect $100 million in annual run rate cost synergies from the deal within the first two years of ownership, and they believe it will be additive to earnings within the first fiscal year. For Smucker, that's their fiscal 2025, which starts next May. They've said all of that before, though. The only real surprise from that hostess commentary was the 4% long-term annual sales growth target. To be fair, at the time the deal was announced, Smucker said that hostess would contribute roughly $1.5 billion in sales, quote, with an estimated mid-single-digit percentage annual growth rate, end quote. Sure, 4% is in the mid-single digits, but it's toward the lower end. And Hostess's sales grew at a double-digit clip every year from 2020 through 2022. So that 4% target, I'm calling it a disappointment. But it's possible that Smucker's management is just being conservative with its hostess estimates because of all the concerns about the GOP-1 drugs having a negative impact on junk food. Bizarrely, this topic, it didn't come up on the conference call, not even once, which I guess was a win for Smucker. But it did come up when CEO Mark Smucker, a guy we like at Freedom Guest on this program, checked in with a squawk box gang yesterday morning. Smucker initially focused on the fact that hostess has some healthier options. Uh, that kind of felt like a stretch to me. When pressed, he reiterated that the company's seen no impact from these GLP-1 drugs thus far, but he conceded it's an important issue. He'll be watching very carefully going forward. So that's the current company line. That's the zeitgeist on the GLP-1 subject. And if I'm being honest, and that answer does not satisfy me all that much, but I also recognize there's only so much management can say about this potential problem at the moment. The truth is, nobody really knows how much damage these drugs will do to the junk food space right now. These guys have made their bet. And if they haven't seen any problems thus far, that's all they can tell us. You can't speculate. I also believe Smucker, when he says that the company will be watching the issue very carefully, because, well, everybody's watching it carefully. Now, the stock had an interesting reaction to the quarter in the guidance update yesterday. When the numbers first crossed before the open, the stock went down. Luckily, because those full-year guidance numbers that included a trim to sales growth and a new earnings outlook that was below the analyst consensus at the midpoint. But then Mark Smucker came on Squawk Box, and then the stock reversed, opening up more than $3 and only finishing the day up nearly 4 bucks. It then tacked on another $1.50 today. Very healthy. So back to the original question. Did Smucker really change the narrative with its report yesterday? I'd say kind of, sort of, but not really. There wasn't anything groundbreaking here. What Smucker did say that sent the stock flying is they cleared a key hurdle by offering a hostess-inclusive forecast 
that was indeed better than most feared. Now that the company has laid out its, its targets, it's all about execution. Smucker needs to hit its targets for cost synergies, but more importantly, the hostess business needs to hit their 4% sales growth target while boosting the overall earnings starting around next May. Either that will happen or it won't. And any headwind from the hostess brand's acquisition for these new weight loss meds, well, it's going to make it pretty difficult. I say this. The market has largely moved on from its most dramatic worries about GOP-1 drugs, causing massive disruptions to the packaged food industry. That's clear from how the food stocks have been behaving in recent weeks. And it was sort of telling that no analysts even bothered to ask about the darn thing. So I'm not sure that this issue will put further pressure on Smucker's stock in the near term. It might even keep rebounding after such intense selling for several months, which had brought this thing to its lowest level since early 2021. But the bottom line here? I think it is wrong to say that Smucker fully turned the page on these GOP-1 worries. It will still be a mid to long-term concern for investors, at least until Smucker's can post strong enough numbers from its hostess business. That's the only thing that will truly force Wall Street to concede that GOP-1 worries are not an issue. I think Smucker's a good company with excellent management. But if you want to package food play here, there are safer ways to go. Ones that don't offer once craveable food that's become unappetizing with a shot a week of Ozempic. Let's take calls. Let's go to Stephanie in Massachusetts. Stephanie. Hi, Jim. Booyah, and happy holidays. It's always nice to speak with Same you. Same to you. Thank uh, you. Stock- Great that you called. Thank you. Uh, my stock is down about 20% for this year. It's one of my core holdings, and I really like it because it helps diversify my portfolio. It recently increased its dividend, and the CEO always tells a good story whenever he is on your show. Jim, is McCormick still spicy enough to own? I think that what's happened, Stephanie, is that McCormick has uh, become an expensive stock for the, versus the rest of the group, and that's pulling the stock down. But I will tell you that spices have apparently not been any problem with GOP-1. So you're not worried about that, but you are worried about the fact that the stock is too expensive. And thank you for the call. I think it's wrong to say that Smucker fully turned the page in these GOP-1 worries. That hostess acquisition could still hurt them. It'll still be a mid to long-term concern. So I want a package food play here that is safer. All right, much more may have including my exclusive two-part interview with Amazon. I'm digging into retail, holiday shopping, the NFL, and more with Andy Jassy himself. And that's not all. There's so much to cover with this company. It seems to do anything and everything. We'll also get a closer look at Amazon's latest investments in AI and discuss the role that AWS is playing in the company's overall strategy. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's Seattle edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Well, time for the main event. We've come across the country to do tonight's show from Seattle, Washington, because for the first time in the nearly 19 years we've been on the air, we've got a chance to chat with the CEO of Amazon.com. Amazon's been on fire lately. The stock's up more than 70% for the year. One of the nation state names that make up the Magnificent Seven. So where do you go next after you've conquered retail, the number one cloud infrastructure play, major player in the advertising world? Let's take a closer look with Andy Jassy. He's the president and CEO of Amazon.com. Mr. Jassy, thank you so much for having us. Thank you for taking mad money on. It is great to, to have you 
in person. And the first thing I have to ask you, you are all those things I just mentioned, largest retailer, advertising, movie production, sports broadcaster, grocer, pharmacy, hardware device, car retailer soon. Now, this is all under one roof. What kind of responsibility do you feel, given the fact that this is actually a huge part of our economy? Well, first of all, it's great to be here with you, Jim. So thank you for being here. And, you know, I think what we feel across all, we're in a lot of different diverse businesses, as you mentioned, but the thing that ties everything together at Amazon and the responsibility we feel is to make customers' lives better and easier every day across every single one of our businesses. And if you think about our businesses, we have consumers, we have sellers, we have developers, we have enterprises, we have brands and creators. That's what we're trying to do across the businesses. And you know, each of those businesses you mentioned, we we believe there's an opportunity to change the customer experience, make people's lives easier and better, and that's what we're trying to do. Okay, so Andy, with all those businesses, I think you've got a better handle on what's going on with the economy than pretty much anybody in the world, and you're not political. So tell me, how's it look, particularly after that huge cyber spending period? Well, consumers are still spending. Uh, they're, they're being careful about what they spend on, and they're looking for bargains and deals wherever they can and wherever they can trade down on price, they're trying to do so. And it's really why, if you looked at uh, what we did in our holiday season, you know, it's always important to save customers money, particularly during the holidays and especially in this type of economy. And so we, you know, in our Prime Big Deals Day, which was our, our exclusive event for Prime members to kick off the holidays, we had tens of millions of deals, and it was by far the best kickoff event that we ever did. Um, and then uh, if you look at what's going to happen, most people are not done with their holiday shopping. We have hundreds of millions of deals still left to come. They're dropping every day till December 24th. And so we know that customers care a lot about saving money, and we're working really hard with our third-party selling partners to provide them great deals so they can shop for the holiday season and feel good about it. Okay, we do have persistent inflation. You've said it yourself. We have higher interest rates, student loan payment resumptions, and yet they are still spending. Now, I know they're looking for bargains, but isn't it incredible that it's still a pretty robust economy, interest rates so high, got the Federal Reserve chairman trying to cool things off? Well, I, you know, I think people people are going to buy certain retail items. There's, it, a lot will have to go bad before people stop investing in detergent and shampoo and soap and things like that. And if you look at our consumables business, the growth rate there is pretty extraordinary year over year, in, in significant part because we have been able to speed up our delivery so much in the last year. And so when, when you can get items to people same day or next day at the latest, they end up considering you for a lot more purchases. But if you look at some of the items, like more discretionary items, laptops or um, uh, electronics or phones, people are being more careful. And where they may have taken the more expensive unit, they're taking a less expensive unit. And so we're still growing at a faster rate in those areas than you see the rest of the uh, segment, but you know, more timid than they've done in the past. All right, well, I'm going to go back to what you said yeah. about the consumables. Okay, so sometimes I order like razor blades, Gillette, and they're there the same day. I order like a very popular book, the new Reacher book. I know you got season two coming up. It's there the same day. How does, how does this stuff get to be the same day? What, what occurs? Well, you know, first of all, if you look at just the first half of this year in our top 60 metros, over 60% of the shipments were coming to people in, in the same day or, <laughs> or one day. So a lot of it has to do with a combination of two things. One is when we took our U.S. fulfillment network from a flat national network to eight regional hubs, 
where we redid all the placement algorithms to get items close to where we're shipping to end customers. We were not only able to take the transportation distances down, which lowers your transporta transportation costs and speeds up delivery to customers, um, but we also took our cost to serve down. So those were, it was a great customer experience benefit for customers, getting it faster, and then also it took our cost to serve down. Then the other thing is that we have these sub-same-day um, facilities, which are a different special... Sub-same-day. Yeah, so basically they're... Like intraday. In the same day, in, in just a few hours. And the average purchase in those same-day facilities from click to being ready to ship is 11 minutes. So it's a different design in those fulfillment centers. And we have um, top million, you know, we've, we've about a million SKUs that we can ship out of there where we can ship in the same day. So incre you know, we move from two-day to a lot of the shipments being one day, and then increasingly we're being able to ship items to people in the same day. Well, I, I know we're going to talk about artificial intelligence later, but have you done enough work to be able to say that there's a level that if it comes quickly, that person won't go to the store because it's more convenient just to go to, to Amazon? Yeah, you see it all the time that when... Um, sometimes people make the mistake where they assume that there is, you know, you're kind of in the law of diminishing returns if you keep trying to speed up the delivery, but we do very rigorous testing, and every time we can take delivery speed to be faster for customers, it meaningfully changes their conversion rate and the, and the rate at which they're willing to buy. And when you, what you find downstream for customers is when you're able to get them delivery much faster, they consider you for much more of their purchases. And so it's, it's customers love getting items quickly. All right, so I like reliability. I like, the, uh, I like things coming quickly. But there are these apparel makers, okay? This, uh, I, I don't want to say they're Chinese because one's allegedly from Singapore. The other one's based in Boston, <laughs> Timu and Xi'an. And they've got these prices that, frankly, I know you had to address with some uh, a, a pricing change for yours. But they come in seven days, 17 days, 20 days. How, why are people crazy about those? And why did you have to adjust your pricing for sellers? Well, first of all, I mean, I think you know this, Jim. These market segments are so gigantic, yeah. you know, and, and so competition is really good. We've always thought it was good. It's good for customers. Fair competition. Come on. It, fair competition, but it's, you know, it's good for customers. It's good for businesses. It's good for invention. And so when you look at retail as an example, we have a pretty big retail business, and we're still about just 1% of the worldwide retail market segment share. And it's still the case in the U.S., 80% of the retail is still in physical stores. And outside the U.S., it's about 85%. So these are giant businesses, and they're going to be a lot of successful players. I think that's good for consumers. I, we feel very good about what we provide for customers, and, and it's differentiated because we have much broader selection than anybody else, and we've only added to that in the last couple of years. And then, as we were talking about earlier, we have very low prices. If you look at, you know, Profitero, the external analyst that looks at e-commerce, heading into the holiday season, they showed that Amazon's prices were 16% lower in the 15 categories they measured than any other retailer. So we have very low prices with lots of deals we've put together with third-party sellers. And then customers care about deeply and love getting delivery quickly. And so if you have... You know, you can be successful with smaller selection and good prices and, you know, longer delivery. But, it, you know, I, I feel pretty good about what we offer customers with how large our selection is, the prices, and then how fast the delivery Well, were you surprised at the growth of these companies? I mean, it's out of nowhere. I think there are, as I said, there are a lot of players that are going to be successful in the retail space. There have always been. Um, and so, you know, we continue to try and do right by customers, and we know what they care about. And those inputs of selection price and really fast delivery continue to matter for them. Well, would you ever do that kind of influencer thing where basically if I talk, talk up a product, I get like 200 bucks from Amazon? <laughs> 
Look, I, I think everybody has different different ways that they choose to dress customers. And, you know, I, I think the really best companies try to find ways to be inspired by things that, you know, the customers like. So we'll always consider and, and listen. And um, we care a lot about what our third-party sellers care about and what our consumers care about. But um, what they tell us most is, we want the broadest possible selection at low prices and very fast delivery. Well, I want to be sure you did cut the prices for some of these What we did, did was we, we just announced um, our new um, cost structure for okay. sellers, which we do once a year, and we lowered the cost for sellers and um, and, and the commission that we take on apparel items. And we always have a mix of um, of different cost pieces that are, are that are reflective of our own cost right. structure. And some, if you look at um, we took some down. We, we took outbound delivery fees down. Right. We took the cost associated with peril down. Others where we have costs that we're not really recovering, we try to um, change so that we can share in some of those savings together. So we'll always have a mix of those. You obviously don't like to lose. I mean, you're not gonna, you don't want to lose it to, to Shein. You don't want to lose it to who? Remember, by the way, Shein has a storefront right in Amazon, so they're also a partner. Um, so, you know, most of the companies that we interact with, in, in, both in AWS as well as um, in our retail business, they're both partners, and then we also have some overlap. All right. Now, look, we're going to uh, uh, my conversation with Amazon President and CEO Andy Chastain continues after the break. I'll tell you, he also doesn't want to lose. Stay with us. Coming up, more from the CEO of Amazon. Keep it here for part two of Kramer's Can't Miss One-on-One, next. We're back with Andy Jassy, President and CEO of Amazon.com, because this is arguably the most important company in the world. You know I say that all the time. We have far too many questions to cover one segment. Let's get right to it. Okay, Andy. Give me the core value proposition of Prime right now. Prime is, you know, for $14.99 a month, you get an incredible amount in there. So you, you get um, fast, reliable, f- unlimited free shipping um, across the hundreds of millions of items we have. And then you get to use those same benefits off of Amazon, where we have this program called Buy with Prime, that third-party websites can offer Prime members the same free shipping and fast shipping and fast checkout. And then you get exclusive access to um, all sorts of Prime events, like Prime Day in the summer or Prime Big Deal Day that I was talking about earlier, where you get all these great discounts and bargains and deals. And you get all the exclusive selection that you get in Prime Video from Thursday Night Football to Lord of the Rings to Reacher, which I know you watch, Jack Ryan, Terminal List, Citadel, a great selection of, of, of exclusive video content. And you get the channels from our third-party media partners like Max and Paramount Plus and Discovery Plus and BET and uh, NBA League Pass. And then you get over 100 million um, free, ad-free and free songs as part of the Prime Music benefit. You get grocery shipping uh, benefits. You get Prime Photos. You get a subscription to Grubhub, which is a $9.99 value a month. So it's an incredible amount of value that Prime members get for fourteen ninety nine a month, and, and it's part of why they shop across Amazon in the broad way they do. All right, well, my child says you use in Amazon. I'm listening to that. I'm thinking, well, why not charge double? We'll all pay it. Well, I, I appreciate that, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think that we're, we're, we add benefits to Prime all the time, and, uh, and we have for, um, for many years, and we're always trying to give customers the best possible deal. And, you know, from time to time, we will raise the price as we keep adding more value uh, just to, to make sure that we can afford a sustainable program. But 
we're trying to make it you know as high value as we can, and, and customers love it. All right, well, I like the special special events that you have, and I'm thinking my fabulous colleague Carl Quintanilla. He's doing a program for tonight, 10 o'clock in Nashville, and you guys have just done a big thing in Nashville, and you couldn't make a nice auditorium. Could we see something like a a, a Taylor Swift concert on Amazon, yeah. where, where if we're members of Prime, we get it? We have done a number of live concerts um, as as part of our. Uh, a combination of prime music and prime video. I don't know if you watched the Fr- uh, Black Friday football game, which was the first Black Friday football game home. ever. You did, and you watched. Well, I, yeah. I shopped on Amazon. That's yeah. what we did. We didn't go to the store, although the Jets. Mm. It was not the most competitive game. Mm. But but actually, if you watched the production, I thought it was pretty fun. Was and, 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 you know, one of the things that happened um, was we had a, a Garth Brooks concert that he did live That's in Nashville, right. um, which was available to our Prime members. Um, so it's uh, actually because Black Friday was free to everybody, other people were able to watch it as well. But we do a number of concerts like that. There's all sorts of special events we do for Prime members. Okay, let's talk about some of the things that you're doing with uh, Amazon Web Services. Now, mm-hmm. one of the reasons why the trust has a big position is this is just a phenomenally profitable thing. I met you a few years ago, and all you talked about was how you kept cutting prices, cutting prices, cutting prices, because you want everybody, and because you also want good, good deals. Last year, uh, it's it, the rate of growth slowed, but then we got a bounce. Is that bounce continuing? Well, I think that if you know, if you look at the growth rates of AWS, you know. Per Q3, the last results were released. You saw that the year-over-year growth rate started to stabilize, 12% year-over-year. And, and I, you know, I think that while there's still some cost optimization going on from companies right. um, concerned about the economy, it's largely attenuated. It's not nearly at the same rate as before. And, you know, I think we, we made a decision in the beginning of the pandemic, um, right, wrong, or indifferent. We think it was the right decision, but it was different from other companies. That instead of, even though we knew it might be a difficult economy, instead of trying to squeeze every last dollar from our customers, which a lot of our competitors did, we would try and side on this, uh, with customers. And we would try and help them weather the pandemic and the uncertain economy. And we knew that in the short term, it might lead to lower revenue growth. But if we do right by customers over a long period of time, we're trying to build a business that right. lasts all of us. We believe it'll help customers, and the business will ride along with it. So, you know, I feel I think we made the right decision for customers. I think they're really appreciative. We see them. Um, you know, we, we feel really good about the deal growth that we see in the last few months, and I continue to be very bullish about AWS come 2024 and beyond. I think that. Um, you know, the business today is a $92 billion annual re- you know, revenue run rate business. 90% of the global IT spend is still on-premises. Right. If you believe that that's going to flip in the next 10 to 20 years, which I do, if we continue to have the best functionality by a large bit than we do, like we do, if you, if you continue to have the largest partner ecosystem, which we do, with the strongest operational performance and security as we do, and, and the customer orientation we do, I think we have a lot of growth in front of us, not to mention what's happening in generative AI, which right. I think is going to transform virtually every customer experience. That's another huge opportunity well, for AWS business. In the conference call, Andy, you did say, you, and I'm going to quote you, tens of billions of dollars in revenue over the next several years? How's that possible? Well, if you think about virtually every customer experience that you know, if you think about all of those being changed and evolved and reinvented with generative AI in the middle of it, I mean, the global IT spend is is a really, really large number. It's trillions of dollars. So, you know, I think that um, 
very, in my opinion, almost all the generative AI, especially because all those efforts are effectively starting now, are going to be in the cloud. There isn't going to be this 90% of generative AI spend on premises. And so I, I think that um, there's going to be a huge number of, every company is going to reinvent their core customer experiences but, but that he, way. I, I talk to a lot of companies, and I, I'm not sure they even know what they're doing. They're in it. They say they have an AI strategy, but I mean, I know you must help a lot of companies, but aren't, aren't there a lot of companies that are just doing it for show? I think almost every company now, either they themselves as a leadership team or their board knows that this is really transformational, what's happening with, with generative AI. And so everybody knows that they have to change their experiences. Now, I think a lot of companies are still in the stage of trying to figure out at what layer in the stack they want to operate at in that generative AI stack. And there's you know three main layers, and, and, and they're trying to figure out where. And then they're trying to figure out which experiences should they go after first, and what are they actually going to change about it? And a lot of what we do, because most of the conversation in generative AI has been at that top layer of the stack, which right. is really the application layer. But all three layers are giant, and we're investing in all three of them in a very substantial way. That lower level is really the compute to train the models and run the predictions or inferences. The key there are chips, you know, and, and we, um, we've we been building our own custom AI chips now but for several years. At the same time, years. you were the first to go Grace Hopper. You were the first we to go high-end NVIDIA. We have, we have a deep partnership with NVIDIA. All of their new chips have always come out on um, EC2 or AWS EC2 instances first. And at the same time, we're also building our own chips. We have something called Tranium for, for training and Inferentia for inference for people that want to push the envelope on price performance. Um, and so that bottom level, um, you have a, lo a lot of companies will build those large language, large language models on those chips. And then that middle layer is really where companies that don't want to invest all the people and the dollars in building their own models, they want to take an existing large language model, customize it with their own data, and then be able to run it as a managed service. And that's why we built this service called Bedrock, which yeah. takes not only our own models, which we call Titan, but leading third-party models like Anthropic and Stability and um, Llama 2 and Cohere lets them take those models, customize it, not leak their data back into the general models, and then have the same security and access control and features they have in AWS that they can use in that service. So all three layers of that stack really matter. Companies are trying to figure out well, when they're going to build versus when they're going to leverage another okay, model. Well, look, We're helping said, them do it's it. It's not quite miracle. It's, it's definitely for real, and that's what matters. That's Andy Jassy, President and CEO of Amazon. Don't miss the final part of my interview. We had some fireworks during tomorrow's show. Man, everybody's back into the break. It is time, and it's time for a very special Seattle edition of the Lightning Round. That's why I call it the best step. Bring us out. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski Dad, time for the lightning round. Chris, so Ryan in Ohio. Ryan. Jimbo, thank you so much for yo, what yo. you do. Me and my friend Paul got in the market 2020 trying to figure this out and learning everything, and you really help. I thank you so much. Um, thank you, big guy. What's happening? The day is SoFi. Wanting to see where it's going. Yeah, SoFi actually went above eight a few seconds ago. No, literally yesterday. And I like it very much. You know what? People keep backing away because the race is going the wrong way. Don't leave it. Go there. Mike in Nevada. Mike. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. The Bonnier Stillwater. I'm in it at multiple price levels and they've had a string of bad news over the last year. What do you think? 
You know, I mean, look, when we're going to go down there, we're just going to buy G-O-L-D because we can't fool around with bad operators. Let's go to Dean in Maryland. Dean. Hey, Jim. Uh, Yo. A long-time listener and a watcher of the show. I'm a first-time caller. Um, there I got you go. A the old shooting match. What's up? Symbol yeah. UPWK Upwork Incorporated. Um, no, I, I don't I want to buy an online recruiter right now. If we're going to have a slowdown in jobs, if we get a Friday number that's weaker, we're going to say, why do we own that stock? Let's go to Abdul in California. Abdul. Yes. Well played. What's up? Yeah, it's about one stock that I'm looking to get. Because symbol CLSK. Do you think... Cryptocurrency. Listen, when we want to buy cryptocurrency, what we do is we buy cryptocurrency. We just go right in there and we buy Bitcoin. Simple. Simple as that. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the lightning round. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise it just for you right here, man, buddy. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The lightning round is sponsored by Charles Schwab. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries will warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash disclaimer. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.